Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favorite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and it's time for our weekend review. It was Newcastle United versus Spurs down at Wembley. I'm joined here by Chris Woff who made the long trip down south. Had the pleasure of walking down Wembley Way and shall we say the not so much pleasure of watching that game. It wasn't the best of games. Obviously Newcastle lost but um, still positives to be had out of it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was the worst game ever. It wasn't, as you say, the best, considering what we had last Tuesday. More of the issue I had was the fact that I'm still not comfortable with Premier League games taking place at Wembley. I sort of think it takes a gloss off it, and the fact Newcastle have only been to the new Wembley twice, and both times it's been the space of the last 12 months for Premier League matches, which is disappointing. But considering the exertion Newcastle had put into the game last Tuesday against Man City... Uh, I just think that they ran out of legs, to be honest, in, in the last 20 minutes against Spurs. I thought that they took a lot of confidence from the game. They weren't quite as uh, offensive as, as they maybe were at points in Man City. They counter-attacked Man City a lot more, but I think that was partly to do with the fact that the Spurs pitch at Wembley is a lot wider, it's a lot bigger, it's a lot more difficult to cover as much ground. And in the end, Newcastle just ran out of legs and maybe focus. And they never, they, Yes, they hit the post to Rondon and Perez had a decent shot. They never really threatened too much and, and Spurs were relatively comfortable. Um, but I think overall a very positive week and, and just really Newcastle can take confidence from that even though they did lose in the end. It feels a bit weird not to be saying uh, Newcastle were beaten by a side who've spent much more than them this season. I mean, we all know... I don't, I don't like to say this guy's name, but I'm going to say it anyway. We all know Richard Keyes had a little dig at Benitez online during the game about how much he's spent and how much Poch has spent over the past few seasons but I mean fair play to, to Poch you know not spend any money in the, in the summer not spend any money in January he's got a very good side there full of good players Newcastle did well to kind of keep them at bay for so long yeah first team ever to have gone throughout the whole season without making a new signing uh, since since we've had the two windows so impressive to a large degree how they're going and they were without Kane and, and, and Daddy Ali Son Heung-min came back in the side, got the goal in the end. And I thought, yes, they haven't spent any money Spurs, but just the quality of squad that they have, the players, even on display at the weekend, Christian Eriksen, Son, uh, Kieran Trippier, right back, 
the centre backs they've got on, on off uh, as an option is Philando Llorente came off the bench, uh, Lucas Moura. They're they're all still very very good players, and any side in the world would miss Harry Kane. Most teams in the Premier League would miss Deli Ali. But Newcastle are missing certainly three, maybe four or five players you could argue would be in the first team. Paul Dummett, uh, Newcastle are down to two midfielders, really. Benitez wanted to shift things second half. He thought about moving Fabian Scher slightly further forward, bringing on uh, Federico Fernandez. He opted against it in the end because I thought that Hayden and Longstaff, considering how much they work they've got through in recent weeks, lost a bit of legs late on. I mean, Sean Longstaff, seven games in a row he's played. He started seven matches in a row for a tw- uh, 21-year-old lad who only made his Premier League debut six weeks ago. Very impressive that he's lasted the distance. Isaac Hayden hey, did well. 21, peak of health, right? Peak of health, yeah, but to, to play in the Premier League and to go to Wembley just five days after, or four days after beating Man City in a game, what, the amount of run he's done, I think in five of the Premier League games he's played, he's, he's covered the most distance. Yes, he is young, but to do it at Premier League level, that intensity... I've been I've been impressed with him more off the ball than anything else. I know he's very good on the ball, but just how much work he has got through. And I thought, as I say, I thought Newcastle battled hard, battled well, frustrated Spurs for long periods, but just a bit of a frustrating way to lose the game in the end. But there was a bit of an inevitability in the last 20 minutes. I thought that Spurs were going to score. Newcastle had cleared one off the line. Brilliant clearance from Cher to deny Christian Eriksen. But Spurs score a lot of late goals they have done recently and they're popped up with another one Son has proven that he is one of the most effective players in the Premier League yet, yet again yeah, it came down to some goal very late on many saying Dubravka should have done better with it uh, too harsh or do you think he, he should have he should have saved it. Well, I don't think Dubravka would sit in front of you and pretend anything otherwise and he should have done better with it. I do think it's slightly harsh to call it an absolute howler because the pace that, that Son showed to be able to shift it from one side to the other, I don't think it was defended particularly well, although it was very good skill. And also, he was unsighted to Bravka until the last second. The ball dipped. He still should have saved it and he should have done better. And I think he'd acknowledge that, but I, I wouldn't say it's an absolute howler. He's had a couple of, of half mistakes, if you like, that have led to goals in recent weeks. And and, and possibly that's that's dampened uh, the mood a little bit because I, I think that he's been exceptional most of, most of the time. He made a very good save first off and so go. He made a couple of other, other blocks in the second half. And, but yeah, I think he would sit here and say he should have done better. Uh, another decent performance, you'd say, by Perez. Obviously, uh, he had another decent game against City. He's had quite a good month or so he's had his critics over this season but um he's starting to prove quite a few wrong um it's not going to be as easy as many people might think for Miguel Almiron just to slip straight into that side is it well Miguel Almiron is has been signed because he can play number 10 and Newcastle don't really have an out and out number 10 but Benitez has already said it a few times and if anyone who's seen him play for Atlanta will tell you he can play anywhere across the forward line really he can play either flank although primarily he's played on the left but he's left footed could cut in from the right he can play as a number 10 can play as a second striker so it gives uh, Benitez versatility what he wants is increased competition I think Perez has risen to the occasion realises he has someone who could take his place in the team now and Almiron in theory could play instead of Perez or also alongside him because uh, I think he's got more pace than Perez probably has a better long distance shot on him a bit more creativity but but what Perez brings to the team off the ball is something Benitez values highly and just having increased options is certainly going to help Newcastle going forward Let's talk about Rafa Benitez. Uh, before the game against Manchester City, it was doom and gloom. The press room uh, had a negative atmosphere about it, shall we say. Obviously, there was the story that had come out, the, I think, in the morning about 
about Ashley in the, in the club and what have you. Um, going in a game against the, the current champions and then Dami one story broke, the mood was lifted. And you've seen Benitez, you saw him post-game against City, you saw him pre-game against Spurs and then you saw him again afterwards. I mean, just describe the ch- kind of change in mood because, you know, obviously what our listeners read on our site and what they what they hear on the radio or see on the telly is, is something, but you get, a, you get a bit of a better insight. Well, it is press conference pre-Man City on the Monday. Uh, I think that he tried to backtrack a little bit in, in his subsequent press conferences, but make no mistake, Rafa Benitez doesn't say anything or make sure that the message he wants is out there. And, and Benitez was asked on several occasions whether he would still be there at Newcastle manager come the end of the season, but also come the end of the week. He could give no guarantees at that point. And 24 hours later, 36 hours later... Newcastle agree a club record fee which could become a club record fee for Miguel Almiron whether A directly led to B is almost a moot point but you could see that Benitez at that stage was frustrated Newcastle hadn't signed anyone he still wanted business done after Man City the mood had started to lift A because of the victory primarily but B because progress was being made then speaking to him on Friday pre-Spurs he said look we are stronger now than we were before the start of the window. He genuinely believes the business that Newcastle have done, albeit he didn't get all that he wanted, the business Newcastle have done is is positive. It gives him increased flexibility tactically, gives him increased options going forward, and Newcastle hopefully can add a bit more of a, of a killer touch in the final third because we know they've been toothless at times. So he's pleased with the business that was done, albeit he wanted more of it. And uh, that is the first positive step towards hopefully getting him to commit his future. I've written a column this afternoon whereby I've responded to reports over the weekend where I think in one Sunday newspaper they said that Mike Ashley expects Benitez to sign a new deal within the next six weeks. Well, I think Rafa Benitez will need more than just one signing, albeit a potential club record deal, to, to commit. He wants other reassurances, but I do think this is the first positive step and gives them now a reason to sit down face-to-face with Mike Ashley. Mike Ashley can try and say, look, we've committed to you, now can you commit to us? But he's going to need further guarantees and just that. But how does he get those guarantees? Because it's not all that easy to get that down on a, on a contract. We'll give you X amount of money, or there'll be X amount of money put into to the training ground or the academy. Mike Ashley, we'll confidently say, isn't probably going to do that. Uh, Benitez can ask, but you're unlikely to, to. Mike Ashley's unlikely to write himself into a corner. He isn't. And uh, last summer, Benitez asked for for certain reassurances face to face with Mike Ashley down in London. And Mike Ashley was basically quite honest and saying we can't deliver those straight away. My understanding is from sources high up at the club that they are willing for things such as uh, investment in the training ground, uh, the academy restructure, potential change of the scouting structure over a long term period. But they can't guarantee. They don't believe that there's the money to be able to do that right now if Benitez also wants to invest in the squad, which he certainly does. And it's not just about uh, money in, as far as transfers are concerned. It's also about the way in which transfer the transfer policy is enacted at Newcastle, the way in which they go about doing business and the fact that Benitez wants to know a specific budget rather than, as we've said before, when Newcastle take things individual merits. How Mike Ashley gives them those promises and guarantees, I don't think there is any way necessarily you can write those down. But what needs to happen is... Trust needs to be restored. That, for me, is the key issue here. Uh, Mike Ashley seems to to have this view, or at least the view is being portrayed over the weekend, that he's shown some commitment to Rafa Benitez. Uh, he wants some evidence of commitment in return by Rafa Benitez signing a new deal. Well, Benitez will say, 
I need to know that long term there's still a project here. There's something I can still believe in. You need to show me more. You need to give me more indication than just this deal. This is the first olive branch which has been offered, but I think a few more need to follow. But overall, I think that there's more chance now than there was a week ago when we heard Rafa Benitez before the Man City game refused to give assurance over his future. Friday, he wouldn't commit on anything. He wouldn't even say when they were going to have talks, but he said he was happy to sit down with the owner if he so wanted. And I do think that we are in a more positive position in terms of Rafa Benitez potentially staying than we were seven days ago. That's what's going to happen, hasn't it? It has to be Ashley and Benitez meeting face-to-face or at least over the phone and, and talking out. We don't need to hear Benitez constantly telling us that he speaks with Lee Charnley every day and the relationship is is good because at the end of the day it's, it's Mike Ashley has to make those promises to, to Benitez and Benitez needs to you know see the look on his face and believe the look or at least you know believe the the tone of his voice we can't have what we had earlier this earlier last year where it was you know Mike Ashley is a bit miffed because Benitez hasn't invited him to watch training and all this kind of back and forth you know, both parties just need to sit down and, and get a dealt. Yeah, I mean, if Mike Ashley is going to be the owner for the short to medium term, as we very much suspect now that he is, Peter Kenyon hasn't yet come forward with the 300 million. The club is, remains on the market, but as things stand, or Mike Ashley haven't been at Wembley last week, he was at the Cardiff game a couple of weeks ago, spoke with Rafa Benitez then. The assumption very much is that he's going to be here for the next few months. Therefore, Benitez's future lies with, with Mike Ashley. And I, Lee Charnley and Benitez have a positive relationship to a large degree, although there has been uh, there have been a few occasions over the last couple of years where Benitez has been frustrated, and partly that is because as soon as it gets to big money, Mike Ashley has to sanction it. He, he, he said in the High Court 18 months ago, Mike Ashley, that he's the last to know about transfer deals at Newcastle. Well, maybe he's the last to know because he's the one who has to give it the OK or veto it either way. He sanctioned the Miguel Almiron deal, make no mistake. Unless Mike Ashley had given get-go on this, Miguel Almiron would not be a Newcastle United player right now. So Mike Ashley needs to be the one to sit in a room with Rafa Benitez and they need to talk things over. They won't agree on everything. There's going to have to be compromise from both sides. And I mean, Benitez may have to compromise here. He's not going to get everything he wants. In an ideal world, he would, but we don't live in an ideal world. And he's a sort of manager who's always going to demand more. But... Both both need to give a little bit. Mike Ashley certainly needs to give a fair bit and, and show Rafa Benitez that he can be ambitious at Newcastle regardless of whether Mike Ashley's owner or not. Talks of, uh, or reports rather, that the Miguel Almiron deal was, was helped by Ashley using American contacts and Ashley intervened personally. Is that, is that something you, you've heard? It wasn't something I'd heard until I read that the other day. I've checked it out since. I think that Mike Ashley certainly... Uh, asked a couple of people in America to, to help the deal move on a little bit, but the negotiations were already quite far down the line. The thing with the Almiron deals, as I said a few times, I always suspected that Atlanta would come down with the price. It was just whether Newcastle would agree to meet whatever it was. So the communication lines were never ended. It was Newcastle left a bid on the table all the way through and said, come back to us if you change your price. We're not raising ours for now, but come back to us when you get a more realistic price. Atlanta and also Almiron's agent flew around Europe trying to find interest elsewhere nobody bit at the initial price of 30 million dollars everyone thought that was that was overpriced Newcastle eventually uh, were called back to the table and have agreed I think the the initial fee is very similar to what Newcastle initially offered 
just over time that will increase uh, a when your castle survive i think there's a payment then which will then make it a club record deal and then there's also some performance related parts to it so do i think mike ashley was crucial to the deal i do believe he was because he had to agree for the money to be spent on it but i don't necessarily think that that was his contacts in america pushed over over the line or anything like that i think that the deal was always likely to be done as long as Newcastle would agree the fee just needed Atlanta to first come down. Do you think the kind of threat from fans not to renew their season tickets, um, obviously it was renewal dates, um, the day of the Manchester City game, I believe, uh, the kind of threat that lingered from Benitez from the, the press conference prior to that Man City game about his future and will he be here on Friday and he wouldn't commit. Do you think that had any bearing on Lee Charney maybe saying, OK, maybe... You know, can, can we really afford to call the fa- fans bluff? Can we really afford to to take on Benitez in this way? Or do you think it was kind of inevitable that Newcastle would always rise it to a price which Atlanta would would, would you know take take? I think the season ticket renewal is a bit of a red herring because the time frame would fans realistically have been able to renew in the time frame after the Almiron deal came out even before then even though a fee was agreed the, the transfer wasn't agreed by that stage so I, I don't think necessarily on that one Benitez and his, his comments the day before yes although I do think that the deal was already behind the scenes we'd heard whispers the week before a few people in the northeast press pack had heard whispers that the Almiron deal was potentially back on but nobody had it strong enough to be able to write it nobody wanted to believe it until it actually came through because we've heard these things before so uh i think benitez's comments in public probably pushed things on a little bit and, and got the the deal finally over the line but i i, I genuinely believe and i know that a lot of this will be a very unpopular view uh, and people will say that i'm being a bit sycophantic but i i doubted it but i think lee charnley actually played this one quite well he set a price that he thought Miguel Almiron was worth he didn't want to go above it uh, Benitez privately we understand told him to go and pay the money they that he wanted Almiron in and it has been frustrating it would have been nice for Almiron to be in here a few weeks ago get the visa sorted and have been able to play the last few weeks but eventually Lee Charney's strategies played out and Newcastle got Almiron albeit belatedly and at a price they think is sustainable in their own business model so even within that there are a few criticisms but the fact that that Newcastle have finally completed the deal fair play to them they got that one done albeit it should have been probably done a, a lot earlier but if 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 Newcastle are going to maximise the, the money they do have which they tell us is limited albeit there is some money to spend then I suppose you can argue that the handlers one quite well particularly in the January where there were very few permanent deals Newcastle's was one of the highest I think maybe the third highest in the Premier League single figure paid for someone one of which was Pulisic who didn't even isn't moving until the summer so they deserve some credit, albeit Newcastle didn't do all the business they probably should have done and they left things far too late. Um, do you think Mike Ashley might sit back and and see the reaction, you know, on social media of the you know, the fans in general and maybe just change his ways a little bit and, and, and maybe enjoy the feeling, you know, that the fans are, are dead happy. There's a, a wave of optimism even despite the Spurs defeat, everyone is on a bit of a high. Um or is that wishing for too much? I think that's probably wishing for too much. I think he's burned his bridges quite a while ago about enjoying things at Newcastle. I think he just lets it be. We know it's not his primary focus. He has his other business interests. The amount of but, but other- why does he keep? Why does he? Well, if that is the case, and I'm not disputing that, why does he continue to turn up at games? Um, Chris is taking a, a drink there out of our brand new. Everything is black and white mugs. Um, those who came to talking would have. 
uh, got one of those. And we'd actually love to see them being used at work or school or wherever you are enjoying a brew. So if you do have a picture of yourself using them, that's quite sad, but I'm intrigued to see where you're putting them. Uh, send them over to social media. If they're in the bin, I don't want to see them. Just, you know, nice ones, please. But Chris, back to that question. If that is the case, why does Mike Ashley uh, keep turning up to games if he's just not interested? He always lost the right to be happy with Newcastle. Uh, it's an interesting question. It's one where, again, I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly what goes through Mike Ashley's mind, but uh, certainly back in October when, sorry, November, when Ashley turned up at a few games, that was because Lee Charnley thought that it was in the interest of everyone at Newcastle United if he was in the round and and was a bit more connected. I think that similar again, once it became clear early in January that Peter Kenyon was not going to take over the club, Rafa Benitez, his future was still up in the air and Newcastle's top flight future was uncertain. There's a feeling behind the scenes that Mike Ashley needs to in some way be connected because this is this at the end of the day, he owns the football club. If Newcastle United go down, it affects Mike Ashley as much as it affects anyone else. The price goes down, he would probably have to invest to bring Newcastle up again if he wants to do that. Uh, so I just think that more so, it's not that he necessarily enjoys it, it's just that he has to be seen to be there to be having an influence in whichever way he can, to be linking up with Lee Charnley. Uh, and so it, it's an interesting one because fans continuously uh, are chanting against him. He isn't popular. He's never going to be popular again. But in some ways, Lee Charnley's efforts to try and get him reconnected have worked to a certain extent. Belatedly, he signed off on the Almiron deal and maybe uh, he will be the person who... Uh, ultimately tries to, to convince Rafa Benitez to stay because it needs to be the owner at the end of the day. Hi, it's Finn Dwyer from the Irish History Podcast and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the Acast app or wherever you get podcasts. Just sticking with me, you want a couple of questions from our listeners on Twitter from Bob Smyvin, Dimitri Bodan, Danis. Um, they kind of asked the similar question about kind of how well me one's going to fit in. Uh, Dimitri asks, you know, do you think he'll fit in for Iosi Perez? Uh, while Rob asks, you know, will Rafa just chuck him straight in or will he try and bed him in? Um, what, what do you reckon? Well, Almiron today is across in Paris, as my understanding, getting his uh, his visa. So he isn't allowed to train with the team until he has the work permit because training is his job and, and he isn't allowed to work in his country until he gets that. My understanding is that it'll be a mere formality for him to get it. A, because of the price tag, B, because of the wages he's on, and C, because the amount of international appearances he's had for Paraguay over the course of the last 12 to 18 months. Um, but once he is, hopefully he'll be in training come Wednesday. I mean, the castle have got a few days off anyway, Benitez has afforded them that, what with it being a Monday night game at Wolves. I would be surprised if Almiron starts next week, um, just because uh, Benitez may look at Wolves a fortnight uh, sorry Huddersfield a fortnight after that and think Almiron has been here for three weeks you really have been embedded in the team by then maybe better to start him in a home match give him his first game but I certainly think he'd be involved in the squad and maybe he might do enough to get a, a start in general Barreca probably has a bit more of a chance and I'd, I'd, I'd quite like to deal with this question talking about them both because 
what I think Newcastle, the reason I agree with Benitez that Newcastle have come out of this window stronger than they started is because I think that Benitez has increased options everywhere. Um, Jacob Murphy was allowed to go because both Barreca and Almiron can play out wide and Jacob Murphy was already restricted in terms of the amount of game time he was getting. Benitez wants him to get to get game time out on loan and instead the two players have come in. I mean, Barreca came on at the weekend for Matt Ritchie at left wing back. That is a position he, he's naturally very good at. Well, naturally is, is a position that potentially frees up Matt Ritchie to play further forward in those further forward positions, not only have you got Almiron able to play anywhere across the forward line, you're going to have Richie back in the equation then, Perez, Atsu, Rondon obviously up front with Hoslo as a second option there, Muto's coming back this weekend, and also you've got to remember that uh, Kennedy isn't even getting a game at the moment. Kennedy, who at the start of the season was the creative spark, in theory can play anywhere across there as well. Dummett is coming back into the fold this week as well. If it's a flat back four, he could well play at left back. Otherwise, he's another option at left centre back. Um, Bereka can also play a bit further forward. So I just think that the way Newcastle have it now, what Benitez likes is there's variety there, there's options, there's unpredictability, which is not something Newcastle necessarily had. And it may only be two new players, but the flexibility and versatility they offer suddenly make Newcastle look a bit more of a threat going forward. And suddenly they're not quite as predictable, particularly when Benitez likes this counter-attacking style so much. Bereka has pace, Almiron certainly has a lot of pace, and hopefully the two of them will make Newcastle more effective at what they already do. I don't see a, a dramatic change in style. I just see Newcastle being far better at executing what they're doing if these two prove to be a success. But do you see Perez making way from him? Because like I mentioned before, that Perez has actually had a really good month or so, despite the criticisms and what have you. It'd be, I mean, obviously... Ability-wise, you're probably saying, yeah, Almiron is the, the, the better player. I mean, we've not seen a lot of him, so, but from what we have seen and what we've heard and talked to people who have seen him, you know, he, the, you know they, they absolutely rave about him. So Perez is going to have to be on, you know, in his best of form to keep Almiron out of the side. And, and, and you'd say as soon as Almiron is, is embedded in that team and he's not playing, then some fans will be asking, well, you've spent £21 million on this guy. Why is Perez keeping him out of the side? Yeah, well, I don't think Perez will, will play as often as he has done up to this point, but there haven't there hasn't been as many options. But um, I think it, it'll very much be, uh, for want of a better term, horses for courses selection from Benitez as to where he plays Almiron or Bareca or whoever in certain games and whether Perez plays. If Newcastle are going for all-out counter-attack, all-out pace, Perez probably won't be in the side. But in, in matches where he has once Perez... Perez to do something specific tactically uh, he may play as someone just off the striker he may play in another role as well so um, Newcastle have plenty of options there um, and all Almiron does sorry my phone was just ringing there so in my, in my pocket it's, it's, so Lee, it's Lee Charnley <laughs> um, um. And so I just I, I I think that it's not necessarily a case of Almiron or Perez. It will be in some matches, but I just as I say, Benitez has options now whereby depending on where he thinks Almiron will be most effective, game to game, whether that's out wide, second striker, number ten, will depend on whether Perez plays or not alongside him. I mean, one of the weaknesses that people have pointed out about Almiron is that he's not the strongest, and that is one of the weaknesses that people point out about Perez that he doesn't really have that strength. He goes down quite easily. Um, I, su- I suppose my point is, is that if people are expecting a massive upgrade in terms of everything that the number 10 does, or it's not going to happen right away, is it? Because Almiron's going to have to get used to the strength of the Premier League. Um, you know, Fans just have to be a bit cautious because it is 
it's a massive step up, isn't it, from from the MLS to um to the Premier League. It is, and the, and the most interesting thing for me that Pe- that Benitez said on Friday about Almiron was, we have not signed Miguel Almiron just for the next three months, although we'd like him to do well and, and help us. We've signed Almiron to a five-and-a-half-year contract. Miguel Almiron, over time, is the player that Benitez thinks can make a significant difference to his side. But in the short term, he may, he may well take a bit of time to adapt. Very rarely do players come from an overseas league and suddenly hit the ground running the Premier League no matter where it is. And MLS to Premier League, the step up is going to be significant. So I think he is going to be, fans are going to have to be patient. He's going to have to be patient himself, get used to things, which is why I'd be surprised if he's thrown in away at Wills next week. Because I think tactically that's a one Benitez that wants something very specific from the game. I think he'd rather wait for Huddersfield in a couple of weeks' time. But the quality that he does bring, I do think that he can make an impact between now and the end of the season. But yes, his best football for Newcastle United is probably likely to be 12 to 18 months down the line once he really gets used to, to the Premier League and hopefully adapts, adds a little bit of muscle, adds a little bit of know-how, tactical nous, and also just gets used to to the speed of the Premier League. Everyone says the thing that surprised them most is when you get the Premier League, it's non-stop. He's going to have to take a little bit of time to get used to that and adapt. Almost certainly. Um, do you think Benitez would have been left a little bit disappointed not to get maybe another midfielder in and a striker more than anything. I know there wasn't really... There was a little bit of talk about trying to get Rondon in permanently, but again, for me, that wouldn't have really you know, filled the gap because if Rondon gets injured um, in the next game or the game after that, Newcastle are very much screwed, essentially, because no disrespect to Jocelyn, he's not going <coughs> to score the goals that Rondon does. He's not going to hold the ball up in the same way Rondon does. It's just my opinion but I don't think he is. And then if you've got Mudo is the only other option or Perez up front, aren't you going to have to change your style? Because the whole, at the moment, it's all built around Rondon tracking deep back, winning the ball, holding up the ball, passing it on, moving forward. Um, we've just mentioned there the lack of strength that Perez has, um, especially compared to Rondon. So, I mean, leaving Newcastle with only one real Premier League quality strike that's a massive risk isn't it given that they're only what two points off the drop zone I'll get on that issue in a second more about the the thing about the Rondon deal for me yes it wouldn't have brought in another player but what that said to me and what I think that the the message was meant to be from the board at Newcastle was another um, olive branch almost to Rafa Benitez to say look this is a player we didn't want last summer this is a player we don't want to really sign permanently but we're trying to get him here so he's here next season and you can then work with them again next season. So that was, for me, that was more crucial than anything else that Newcastle, the board, wanted. It's, it's something they may well revisit over the course of the next few weeks and months as well to try and, and convince uh, Rondon. Well, Rondon, I don't think, will take much convincing. It's more about uh, convincing West Brom that the deal can be one that they want to do, and then Benitez will have two players, two of his first-choice signings in Almiron and also... Uh, Rondon from last summer here for next year in terms of leaving Newcastle short up front undoubtedly they are they are short they do have a lack of options certainly in terms of the Rondon style Benitez has more faith in Hosloo than I think a lot of fans do and elsewhere but he's not Rondon he isn't going to score the goals Rondon is and he doesn't do the job anywhere near as effectively as Rondon does but the thing I will say about uh, about the options Newcastle have Almiron can play as a second striker. You could play him and Perez together. If you wanted to go all-out counter-attack, 
without having the big man up front, in theory, you could switch things around and have Muto in there as well. It's never going to be ideal, but um, it's never going to be ideal by any stretch. But certainly, uh, Newcastle United have some options, but a striker was something Benitez wanted in, in January, but he recognised that the positions he needed sorted most were left wing back in number 10. I suppose... Uh... One of the, we, we'd love to bring in a striker in like Alan Shearer, which is ironic because uh, on this day, 2006, he scored his uh, record-breaking goal for Newcastle United. What do you recount about that day, Chris? I mean, I just remember Amiobi once again writing himself into the record books of, with, with, with the assist, much like uh, Shearer's volley against Everton. So uh, And Papi Cissé's goal at uh, Chelsea. There we have it, yes. But I, I mean, just, just, I mean, we'll, we'll do this no matter over the years to come. But I mean, what, a, what a player, what, a, what an achievement. Yeah, I mean, saying that it would be nice for Newcastle to have a player like Alan Shearer. There aren't many, if anyone, who's ever, have ever been like that. The only Premier League goal scorers at the moment who you could, you could even begin to say in the same breath as Alan Shearer, probably Sergio Guerrero, who got his tenth hat trick, uh, just one behind Shearer yesterday, and also uh, Harry Kane is starting to get up that sort of level, but. Uh, once in a generation player in general in the Premier League never mind for Newcastle United um, yeah it was a brilliant goal he'd stayed on that extra year he talked about retiring the summer before he postponed it for another year partly to get the, to get the record he, he wanted that and even in his advancing years even towards that season where he, he wasn't quite the player of old he was still very effective and uh, just a, a talis- talismanic figure in the history of Newcastle United and unfortunately Yes, that they don't quite have the options there at the moment. But but Shearer himself is quite a big Rondon fan. He sees the value of him. The amount of times we've heard him on Match of the Day and also in columns praising Rondon and saying how he likes what he brings to the team. Well, that that is the sort of at the moment the position Newcastle are in. Rondon are the sort probably the best forward they can hope to have in that position and keeping him fit's key. Because if Rondon stays fit, I think Newcastle United will survive and survive probably relatively comfortably in the end. I'm not saying mid-table or anything like that, but I think they can finish 14 to 15, something like that. No, fingers crossed. Um, ironically, you mentioned the word key there, so that'll just take us on to our next topic. Uh, within a few weeks, Newcastle could have an abundance in midfield, in defence. Uh, we know if, when Key gets back to fitness, Shelby comes back and Diarmi's probably going to be all right uh, for the Wolves game. Uh, Benitez is going to have to really make some difficult decisions because I think a lot of fans would say at the moment Sean Longstaff is pretty much undroppable well very much like the fixture list itself you go from feast to famine in terms of uh, the way things are going it's the opposite with the options you guys are going to have over the last two months Newcastle I think have played something like 15 games it's been ridiculous the schedule Um Whereas in February as a whole, if you include Saturday's game, they play four times, partly because they've got their annual year off, which is the FA Cup fifth round weekend. But uh, Newcastle have been stretched to the limits. They've had two first-choice midfielders, if not three, if you argue that Key and, and Shelby together, one of the two of them would likely have played if Longstaff had never got in the team alongside Modi Army. Suddenly... There's five options there. I do think that Isaac Hayden's been a lot better than some people have made out. He looks focused again, albeit I think he will be the, the natural first one to drop out. Sean Longstaff, I've been impressed with him. He has made the step of his show and he can, he can come into the side. And I actually think I would play him in the next match, but I actually think over the course of the next few months, it'll be to his benefit to come in and out of the team because I think that if you put someone in too much too soon 
that can have a negative effect. I think that he needs to be in and out. That he can learn from the likes of Key and Shelby come back fit. But just for the trip to Wolves next week, I asked Benitez on Saturday who was likely to be back. He said Shelby's probably not going to be ready, but he's positive and hopeful about Dummett being back in defence, which gives him an option as a left centre-back or if he goes with four at the back as a left-back key and also Diame. I would very much expect Diame to come back in so he's got that combative uh, force but maybe he may play him alongside uh, uh, Sean Longstaff in midfield there. Benitez has a few options he can change things, he can even put three into midfield with all of them fit. Suddenly they are starting to look like they've got other options. Other injuries will hit undoubtedly but now Newcastle have got through the really hectic part of the season. They're starting to get players back. They've got in two new signings as well. Suddenly things are looking a bit more positive in that area rather than two weeks ago when we were scrabbling around wondering who was going to be playing in certain positions. With Dummett though, I mean, it's likely that there'll be three centre-backs, you would think, because it has worked quite well at times. So you would, you would argue that that would be Lascelles, Lejeune, and then either one of Cher or Fernandez would because then suddenly Dummett is down the pecking order because he's not a wing-back. And it's it's quite unfortunate because over the last couple of years, he's, he's really come on under Benitez. He's been a rock. He's been steady and stable. He's been kind of everything that defines a Benitez side, reliable, does the job he's asked of. Um, do you see him maybe having to change his game a little bit? You know, maybe get a bit more confident on the ball to fit into Benitez's system because... Dummett's still a young player. He obviously loves the club, but I mean, he's not going to be happy. Is he sitting on the bench waiting for for his chance? No, he's not. The thing with the Wolves game is that the way I think Benitez will approach that with Dummett, who's had a number of hamstring problems over the last couple of years, he'll probably think, maybe I'll put Dummett on the bench at Wolves. Then he's got another fortnight almost before the Huddersfield game. We'll make sure he's exactly right. But even going forward, as you say, Newcastle already have five centre-back options. If they're playing with wing-backs, Dummett is not really an out-and-out wing-back unless it's a game whereby they're against one of the top six and it becomes almost five at the back rather than three at the back. Will Dummett need to adapt his game? Well, I think that it wouldn't do him any harm to try and get more confident on the ball, but he isn't the best out-and-out footballer in the world in terms of being able to use his feet and, and being able to play out from the back. But he's someone who can play as, as, as a left centre-back. I think that he will still get game time. He gives Benitez a different option there. He's probably better in the air than a couple of the other ones I've mentioned, probably better than Cher in the air. But it is, it, it, it's suddenly Newcastle look like they have several options in certain positions and that will only bring out the best in Paul Dummett I think Newcastle will play four at the back on certain occasions. Benitez will then recall Paul Dummett and play him as a left back. But yeah, he's someone who three, four months ago when he was fit you knew for a fact he was going to play wherever it would be in the team now suddenly going forward this competition which for Benitez is what he wants he wants every player to make sure that there's someone potentially breathing down the neck and therefore bring the best out of that individual player um, So what would be your strongest 11 then? If everyone was fit no suspensions what, who would be in your, your starting 11? Oh, that's, that's a question putting me on the spot isn't it? Uh, well Dubravka and goal um, Yedlin's a right wing back. Lejeune, Lascelles, Cher. I think it would. I think I keep that back three. Then this is this is the tricky one because Matt Ritchie and Yedlin last season when it was right back, right mid, brilliant partnership. It was for me probably the standout, uh, the standout performance, especially the second half of that season because they played so well together. We haven't seen it this season because he has been over the left wing back. 
But then you're saying, you know, we've got Bureka in. You might try Dummett there, so you've done a slot in a bit more comfortably. Um, and then suddenly you've got an issue for Matt Ritchie and you're like, well, do we do we move him into midfield? Do we keep him at left wing back? I mean, that is that's a massive decision. I think that, that we'd see a lot more of Matt Ritchie moving forward as, as, as a winger, as a more advanced role or whatever it is, just off the, the striker, depending on how Newcastle are going to play. Uh, Bereka frees him up. I think I think Matt Ritchie's done very very well at left wing back, but it's not his natural position. I think he has been reined in a little bit as to how he can influence the game in attack. Suddenly, again, Newcastle have various different options as to who can play off Rondon. The one position now you'd say Newcastle are looking really short is behind Rondon. If Rondon's injured, who plays there? As we already said, yeah, they're going to have to change the system entirely, or Hoslu plays there and. Let's be honest; he's just a poor man's version of Rondon. I'm afraid that that is just that, that is just how I see things. Whereas other positions now, when Newcastle have a few options, Kennedy, I'd, I think, is going to do well to get back in the team until he finds some form. He's going to really struggle for game time once Matt Ritchie's liberated a bit further forward. Christian Atsu's played a lot more regularly in recent weeks than he has done in a long time. Almiron comes in, Bareka comes in, Perez potentially find him somewhere where he fits into the team then if the midfielders come back Benitez could even think about playing three of them or moving one of them forward in the, into a slightly more advanced role so I, I'm not going to try and second guess Rafa Benitez I don't know how he sees I don't know how quickly Bareka and Almiron are going to settle in so I don't know how much football they're going to play between now and the end of the season but I just think that the increased competition increased options gives Newcastle as I said greater flexibility and greater versatility and your the rest of your team. So I interrupted you there. Sorry, but I yeah, thought so it was very. I thought the Richie the Richie thing is going to be very interesting to see how it so out. If Bereka works out, and this is a big if, I don't know how he's going to work out. Then potentially Bereka as a left wing back, just because that's his position. He's out and out there. Um, then in midfield, if everyone's fit, I think I would go Key and Diarmi. Controversial. I know a lot of people say Sean Longstaff. I don't think he's quite there yet. I think given time, in the next eighteen months, Sean Longstaff will be regularly in the team. Just, well, on that, you've said you know putting him in too much too soon but I just say like surely the only way you can progress is by having game time and playing alongside someone who can bring you on so like like at the army um, and at the highest level where you're expecting to, to make it I didn't say take him out of the team entirely and I didn't say take him out completely but I, playing every single week in the Premier League, playing seven games in the course of this month. So unlike other players who've been playing recently, uh, the likes of Isaac Hayden, who was rested for the Blackburn away game in the FA Cup, Sean Longstaff has been playing so much. And at that stage in your career, yes, you do need game time, but you also need managing correctly. It's a time where you can get a lot of injuries, which can lead to problems along the line. And it just it's just something where I think tempered over time, the way Benitez sees it as well, is that he needs to be worked in the team over time. I just think over the next 12 to 18 months, we want to maybe play half the games start half the games and half the games come on from the bench I just don't think he's quite ready to start every single week that's just my personal opinion other people may disagree Benitez may end up disagreeing and Longstaff may keep his place in the table and very good luck to him if he does because I'd love to see him succeed because I've been impressed with him so far but in terms of the rest of my team so I've, so that's the, the midfield gone so I've got I've, well, I've got four positions or five two so I've got four positions left to choose from Um, no Sorry, I've got three positions left to choose from. So I'll go Rondon up front. Then I'm going to go Almiron and Richie. And so I've left out Atsu, I've left out Perez, and I've left out Kennedy. And suddenly there's a lot more options there of players that come into the team. Um, I think I've, I think that's enough, isn't it? 5-2. 5-2-2-1, two, two, yeah. 
two. Yeah, it's enough. Safi yeah. had gone one So two many. players just I'd have I'd have Almiron and Richie just off uh, Rondon. But it would that I mean that would be just off the top of my head, and that is assuming that Almiron and Bereka hit the ground running. It's also assuming you're gonna play that system. And also it would depend on the opposition, and this is not me being a cop out, but if Newcastle are going for out and out pace on the break, it wouldn't necessarily be Matt Ritchie you might have in there. You might go for Atsu instead, or you might go for Kennedy if Kennedy refines his form. If you want if it was changing system, you may it may be one midfielder drops out, or there may be one wing back would drop out, one centre back would drop out. But I just think as I say, Newcastle have options there, and suddenly this is a hard topic. A few months ago, you'd basically be able to name the 11 most weeks and there may be one or two positions you debate about. Suddenly, if everyone's fit and if players make the impact we hope they will, who've just arrived, Newcastle, there's debate all over the pitch except maybe up front. Positivity. We need a little jingle in the background just to emphasise that this has been a very positive podcast. Yeah, I know. It's not, uh, not something we necessarily expected and particularly after a defeat. I mean, that's the thing. I just I wrote this a piece on Saturday after the game. My verdict after the match was... Newcastle have lost yes it's disappointing but just look at the context of this week the way we moved over the the space of last week we had on the Saturday before the end of the window Newcastle crashed to what was an embarrassing defeat against Watford just in terms of manner of all of it the players got criticised I don't retract anything that I said about the performance that day the way the Benitez approached it the way the club approached the FA Cup I still maintain that everything then was justified Seemingly, they took on a bit of the criticism. Everyone by Tuesday night, it was a brilliant performance, arguably the most important win in years, or certainly the biggest win in years against defending champions, a team they hadn't beaten in 22 uh, times. Uh, the record against the top six, the fact that they could have dropped it in the relegation zone, all of that taken into account, that win was huge. They then have brought in Boreca and Almiron, albeit belatedly, but signings have come through the door. Benitez himself seems happier. And on Saturday, I thought. Newcastle just ran out of legs. I think they probably would have got a draw if the game had been 20 minutes shorter or if they hadn't had the exertions of midweek. But you could see they'd gained confidence from the Man City win. They were quite happy to to have a bit of a go at Spurs. Yes, they didn't have the legs to complete, but I just think that we've had progress at Newcastle United over the course of the last week, which is not something we often say. And so that's why I think overall, certainly the last seven days have been very positive. No, they most certainly have. And you can keep that positive... Positive, uh, positivity going by heading to chroniclelive.co if you yeah, it's, I'm so positive it's a rarity scene that I can't even get the words out but head over to the website and you keep it with all the latest in Cast United news and don't forget to uh, like subscribe and uh, share a comment or two of you on iTunes or Spotify whatever uh, podcast platform you might be listening through thank you very much This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.